We have been talking together over these past several weeks about the nature of what we have called the great adventure. It is that journey with Jesus that is aimed at the destination of enabling us to be as spiritually and relationally healthy as Jesus himself is. Wouldn't that be something? And like all journeys, the journey with Christ has um, some unpredictability to it. It's got starts and stops. It's got um, hills and valleys. It has delays and detours. It's got sunny days, and as you've seen, it's got snowy days. But amidst all of the variety of this spiritual journey, there are certain predictable phases or stages to the journeying process. For many people, the journey with Christ begins with a great season of discovering. Okay, in this particular season of life, we're discovering God. We're waking up to the reality of the spiritual life and to the potential of it. We're excited about what the journey of faith might hold for us. We're increasingly finding ourselves drawn to pursue this life. We've got a vision of who God is and who we are and maybe where we want to go from here. And so suddenly spiritual health and relational health feels not so far out of our reach. And with this fresh sight for the pathway, in a sense, we embark on following Christ. That sense of desire to discover leads us then into the second major stage of our journey, and it's the one in which we're trying to nurture. It's a nurturing part of the process. And in this particular season of time, we're trying to feed the faith in us. Maybe we're taking on um, some of the kind of soul training practices that we talked about a couple weeks ago. You know, we're coming to worship, and and, and we're using a devotional during the week to stay connected to God. And maybe we're trying prayer and, and fasting and silence and the other spiritual disciplines. Or, or perhaps we're getting involved in, with some of those equipping resources that, that Tracy touched on last week. We're picking up books now, Christian books, and we're actually reading them. You know, we're learning about forgiveness or we're gaining help with figuring out how to parent in a Christian way, or to do marriage and resolve conflicts as, as followers of Jesus do, or, or we're getting resourced by taking a class or a seminar or a workshop, and, and suddenly we're spending our money a little differently, or thinking about it anyway. We're finding help with these other spheres of our life. And then this nurturing phase builds in us this greater clarity about what our lives are meant to be about and some confidence in actually living this stuff out. And so we begin acting on it in deeper ways. Now now we're actually volunteering. When they say they need volunteers at our church or in some other sphere, we're actually raising our hand and saying, sign me up, I want to do something. Or, Or we're practicing these principles when we get into fights with others or when we're dealing with enemies or we're in the workplace, we're, we're, we're starting to actually work the faith in a significant way. Or, or we're giving of our resources more generously. Or we're sharing our faith. We're talking about how God's at work in us with other people. We're inviting them along. We want to see others now get onto the great adventure. And, and as we're, we keep doing this discovering and then nurturing and then acting out of our faith, this is sort of the DNA, discover, nurture, act of the Christian disciple's life. As we're doing these things, changes start to happen. God starts 
bringing about life change for us. And we're beginning to become more loving because that's the destination. That's where we want to wind up, to be more loving people, loving God, loving others in a, in a Christ-like way. I mean, we're starting to, to, to feel about God and see him differently and look at ourselves differently and look at the people around us with more loving eyes. And, and, and we're becoming more spiritually and relationally healthy. That's great news. This is the landscape of the, of the Christian life. Okay, this is the general landscape of the spiritual journey. But somewhere along the pathway, we reach an impasse. It's inevitable. All of us will eventually reach an impasse as we travel. And, and spiritual uh, scholars, scholars of the spiritual life over the centuries, uh, often refer to this stopping point as the wall. It's like there's the Great Wall of China is suddenly in front of us when we're trying to travel and we can't go any further. We don't know how to get past it. I, I, I prefer better the metaphor of a raging river because when I've gotten to these places, it doesn't feel just like an immovable object. It feels like a tumultuous, dangerous flow of life that I, I don't know what to do about. And, and, and when you get to that river, you are not going further in the spiritual journey unless you make a crossing of that, of that uh, experience. But when you reach it, you do not know how. You're ever going to get across whatever this thing is. Some of you have been to that river. I know that. I, I know some of your stories. You, you've been to that place. Uh, sometimes uh, it, you get there by realizing that your life's not going to work out the way you expected it was going to. You thought you would have a life partner, someone who would be a, a partner of the heart with you and share life, and you realize, man, I, maybe that's never going to happen for me. Or, or you found that partner, and now you're in marital crisis. I mean, you're just drowning in marriage, and your other partners, it feels like it's climbing over you to get to the top themselves. Or maybe... It's an actual divorce that takes you to the river. I see people get to the river as they deal with infertility. You know, they just can't have the baby that was on their life plan. And it's just agonizing time. I see it all the time. Young mothers, they've got babies. Babies they got. Too many babies they got, they feel. I mean, it is wiping noses and hindquarters all day long. I went to college for this. They think my life's over. Right? It, it, it can be a, 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 an accident that comes along that just disfigures and devastates your life. It can be the, the death of a loved one can do this, can, can take you to the river's edge. You can be plunged into it by a, a serious illness or by the loss of your job or your spouse's job. It can be a cross-country move. That will do it. I've been to the river that way myself. It's very chaos-inducing. It can be a disillusioning church experience. It can be a financial calamity that can take you there. It can be the shattering of some long-held dream of yours. The river is basically anything that is bigger 
longer, faster moving, more powerful than you. And when you get to it, you realize at a level you haven't maybe before or for a long time, you realize you cannot deny this thing, you cannot control this thing, you cannot get over this thing under your own strength and power, it feels. Have you been to the river? Because when you get there, you so often feel like your faith doesn't work anymore. I mean, it used to be it was an assurance to you, your faith. It was help, it was comfort, it was direction. But now you you feel like you're not sure what the heck God is doing. Does God know what he's doing? Do you know what you're doing? Are you even there? And, And it feels like you begin to wonder if he's even there because your prayers just bang off the ceiling and come right back down and then you just can't pray at all anymore. Have you been to the river? Have you been to the river? Or some of you there, maybe right right now. When we're at that particular point in the journey, it is so hard to perceive. In fact, we don't perceive it. It's impossible to perceive. We need somebody else to say this to us. That this, this thing in front of us that we're in is not just an evil obstacle it is at least potentially a blessed opportunity if we will allow God to do the work in us in the flow of it that he wants to do. You see, if our aim is to get truly healthy, I mean, if it's not just I want a little fine-tuning of my life, but your ambition in life is I want to be as healthy as Jesus as spiritually and relationally healthy as Jesus is. I want to love God and love myself and love other people purely, really purely. If that's your objective in life, then you need the river. Because there are things in you still, I know there have been in me and still are in me, things which I can't get at by myself. I need need something bigger and larger to dig this stuff out and drown it because it needs to die. There are things about me, maybe about you, that just need to die before you're going to go further towards health. Many, many years ago, way back in the 16th century, a a spiritual master by the name of St. John of the Cross wrote a lot about this theme. And what St. John said was that that within all of us, there are these deadly imperfections, he called them. Um, they are these uh, sins, deadly, we call them deadly sins, that are so amazingly stubborn. They don't come out. They do not wash out easily. Okay? They don't. Pride, for example. Oh, that's really stubborn. I mean, we go along the spiritual journey, we learn to mask our pride. It didn't come out because we know this because as soon as, as people do things that are off of our plan, we are impatient with them. We are angry with them. We're condemning of other people. And even though, again, we don't show it on the outside, we don't think there are a lot of people that can teach us a whole lot. We actually think we're sort of in the teaching position ourselves, mostly. And it's this pride. Within many of us is what St. John calls the spirit of avarice. If you're taking the ACT in the future, you might want to know this word. It means greed. 
It means greed. And, and, and by that, even the person who's been journeying a long way with Jesus can have this because we're increasingly seeking our spiritual satisfaction in external engagements. Oh, I'm going to find my spiritual satisfaction by coming to church. I'm going to find it by reading this book. I'm going to find it by going to that particular Bible study. I'll get it by doing these good deeds. When to make further progress in the journey, you actually have to learn poverty of spirit. You have to learn to find God in the silence and the emptiness and the inactivity that often only comes to us in the river. You know, when we're living the life of pie <laughs> out there on the waters. Um, and then some of us are afflicted with an addiction to luxury, says St. John. I'm not talking about Tiffany's and Nordstrom. What I mean here is that we're far more interested in gaining blessings from God than in knowing God. It's amazing how far you can be traveling with Christ and the religious life and still be in that position, right? Your life is mainly, you're mainly interested in God because of what he can do for you. You can bless me. You can give me a better attitude. You know, you can help my relationships work out better. When God, in the later stage of the journey, he wants you just to want him, to know him. And out of knowing him and being with him, you'll be able to handle this other stuff, whether you're living in poverty or, or in the White House. Uh, and so luxury, the sin of luxury, has to be dug up and drowned in us. Many of us have what St. John calls the sickness of wrath. When things don't, don't go the way we like or the way we expect, we get really angry and self-righteous and impatient and irritated. Gluttony is a serious issue for a lot of us. I don't just mean food. I mean like, I mean like we're like, still like little children trying to stuff pleasures into our lives. We cannot get enough of them. We've got to empty the entire Oreo pack. We have to because we just want more and more, and we resist the way of sacrifice. I mean, think about the last time you made a major sacrifice that you chose to make. Um, A lot of us suffer with envy. We feel frustrated, quietly jealous that other people seem to have a more satisfying life than we do. Um, or, Or maybe we're plagued by sloth. That's the seventh of the deadly imperfections. We say... We want to be well. We say we want to be spiritually and relationally healthy. But we refrain from, rebel against, sometimes run from the actual work required to get spiritually and relationally healthy. Uh, That's the truth about a lot of us. Uh, You know, that's the reality. Even those of us who have been on the journey for quite a while. Um, God can forgive this sin sickness. You know, he does. He, he loves us in spite of the fact we're still sick. Um, he, can, he can slowly dissipate some of these diseases in us through soul training practices like we've talked about, through some of the equipping experiences that were discussed last week. God can, can work on these things in us. But nothing digs them up 
and drowns them as fast as life in the river. It's not a given that it always works that way. I've seen a lot of people go into the river of adversity and suffering and they come out bitter and worse, right? They can. But there's always this opportunity that suffering brings us that we might actually begin to relinquish, let go, have stripped from us those various imperfections that stop us from Christ-likeness. Um, that's why I love this verse from, uh, from James, chapter 1, uh, verses uh, 2 and th- through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> Consider it joy when you get to the river. Um, when you face trials of many kinds, for the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may become complete, mature, complete, not lacking in anything. How do I know those words by heart? They have had to become my mantra. I've had to begin to, I've come to realize this, this is the gift of the river, right? This is the gift of the river. Um, Jesus Jesus said that, that it would work this way. <laughs> you know, no surprise. It takes us a long time to sometimes hear Jesus' words. But he said it would be like this. Um, in fact, I think this is why uh, it's appropriate to call this passage of life the crossing period. Emphasis on the word C-R-O-S-S. Um, Jesus literally said, If anyone wants to become my follower... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. Those who want to hold on to this life they've had back on this shore and are going to cling to it are going to lose the opportunity for real life. Uh, And those who lose their old life for my sake and that of the gospel will find it, meaning a greater life. If you can be stripped away of what you've defined as life, you'll find what is real life, is what Jesus is saying. Now in the passage that we read from Mark's gospel just a little bit earlier, we meet Jesus as he is about to enter an immense river of suffering. Right? I mean, he is gonna about, he's about to go, in, go into the ultimate crossing, if you get my drift. He, he's about to. And... Um, He's going to emerge on the other side of that river more alive than, than, than he was when he got in on this side. Amazing. He's going to be stripped in this process of every human dependency. He's going to have nothing left at the end of this swim, this paddle, than, than a dependence upon his heavenly father and his obedience to him. That's all he'll have. But when he emerges dripping wet on the other side, He is life with a capital L. He is abundance in the flesh. He is health in every sense. He is the risen Jesus. But, but, it is very significant that even though he knows that outcome, in fact, we're told in the Bible, it was for the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. He knew the life that lay on the other side of that crossing, even though he knew it. His heart is weighed down in this moment. Um, And he does something 
that I think we've got to notice and take instruction from. It, takes, it gives such help to us if we can follow his example. At a place on the shoreline called Gethsemane, Jesus climbs into the boat of destiny that will take him to the cross. Uh, but as he's stepping in to the boat, he reaches out. Peter, James, John, Come with me, guys. Get, get in the boat with me. Please. It's going to be hard. Paddle with me. Paddle with me. Sit here, he says. Sit here. There's a seat here. You get in that seat. Sit here while I pray. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Jesus knows Again, he knows there's life on the other side of the raging river. And yet he still does not want to try and make the crossing alone. Don't try to cross alone. Is is my big message for you today. His message for you today. If Jesus felt that reality, how much more do you and I need partners for the journey of faith? How much more? I mean, you can try and do the great adventure of discipleship solo. The American way. I'll be a rugged individualist. You can, you can do it. You can try. A lot of people are basically doing that. They're just traveling this spiritual journey solo. They show up at the Jamboree. Here we are at the Jamboree. You know, see all these other travelers with us. That sort of feels like fellowship. But they don't have intimate partners for the journey. They don't have people in the boat with them on a weekly basis. They don't don't have those, those close companions. And it is so much better when we do. I've shared this with you, I know, in the past. If I've made any progress at all on the journey myself, past the initial, you know, discovery, nurturing, acting stuff, if I've gone into the deeper part of the Christian life, it has been because of the partners. Full stop. It's because I've had, you know, these spiritual mentors, people further along the journey, guides. I've had these, these people who came alongside me that I've had on speed dial when I faced the, the rivers of my life. Now, I meet every single week with two different small groups. I don't have time for this. You think I've got time for this? Seriously, I mean, I've got kids at home still and paying for college, a career wife. I've got a a job. Uh, You know, I've got some difficult people to work with, like Noel. (laughs) You think I have time for two different small groups? I don't have time not to be in these groups because I am committed to getting healthier. And I can't tell you how much these partners have helped me because I learn from their vision, their sight for the pathway when mine is lost. You know, I gain so much from hearing about how they're using this soul training practice or that, and it refires my passion to get involved in those disciplines in my life. And we are involved in equipping each other. You know, we study the scriptures together, and they have insights that I don't have. And, you know, if I've, I'd have gotten so stuck in my marriage. So stuck as a parent, so stuck in the workplace, 
so stuck in my spiritual progress if it weren't for the partners uh, in my life. How about you? How about you? There's no accident that Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. Okay? There's no accident. Don't go out there alone, is what he basically was saying. This is a tough journey. Make sure you've got at least one other person with you. Uh, Secondly, it's not insignificant that Jesus said that when two or three or four of you are gathered in my name, that's when I'm especially present. You'll meet me powerfully in that circle. Uh, There's a message for more than Boy Scouts in the wisdom of Ecclesiastes, and I love this verse, Ecclesiastes 4. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not easily or quickly broken. And four strands may be even better. Here's the bottom line. If you do not have partners for the journey, get some. I love you too much not to be blunt with you about it. If you don't have them, get some. Ask one, two, three, four people to be your stretcher bearers, to be the people that carry you to Jesus, to be the people that walk through the jungles with you, that do life with you. Ask three or four of these people to be your partners on the spiritual journey. Um, And and if, if you're having trouble finding them, ask the church staff to help you find those connections. And we will help you find them. Um, And if somebody asks you, um, say yes. No matter who they are, say yes, that you will companion them. Because when you get to the next river, and you will, it's just a question of when, when you get to the next river, you're trying in those moments to make the crossing through tumultuous waters to the greater life that can be found on the other side. You'll want people who will stay with you and pray for you, and paddle with you, and struggle for life with you, it will matter a lot to you who is in your canoe. Please pray with me. Our gracious God, we thank you that you have come to share our life. But help us to hear your words to us, to notice your example for us, And to respond, Lord, by finding those companions on this great adventure that can enable us to find the life in all of its fullness for which we were born. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.